Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, we have so much to talk about, from new movies that are opening this week in the conversation to AFI Fest. But let's start with a film that you've seen and I just caught up with. But we have to offer a certain caveat that's very unique to our media landscape, which is that there is an embargo on reviews for Little Women. And as a critic, that means that I suppose I can't, quote unquote, review the movie even in this context, though there is no social media embargo. So I was allowed to hit send on a tweet. But we can talk about that movie in certain ways. What did your tweet say? (laughs) What I said about the movie is that I think it's one, an exquisite period piece. So hopefully that's not in a breach into unto itself and that i think it's also to some degree a very clever way of using the source material to comment on some very contemporary concerns involving uh marriage as well as just storytelling in general in 2019 right down to a contract negotiation scene which i hope isn't a big spoiler um and also i really enjoyed creative, it creative creative expression um and the role of women in in society Absolutely. and and the degree to which finances uh are very much the underpinning of whether or not a woman is free whether yeah, or absolutely. not she can do I, what she wants in her life back then even more so than than now but it's still a, a thing today yeah so it, it is interesting how it uses it, it does feel like a very modern adaptation even though it doesn't you know try to get everybody to speak in a, in a contemporary vernacular or whatever. And so that's going to be fun to kind of engage with. And honestly, I think Greta Gerwig stepped up to a bigger scale of production with this film very well. It, it takes a while to get going, but it surprised me in terms of how she juggles all these different moving pieces. I mean, it's a big ensemble and a lot of great performances all, all across the Well, she the board. certainly knows how to work with actors and there's no denying uh, that. Um, it, I will say that um, it's, it's definitely in the awards conversation. It's, I think, a very commercial movie. I think it's going to play well, especially judging from the way that it's playing well across the generations in New York and LA. Right. Um, I, I actually have a that it's going to play younger than you would think. Um, yeah, with that it's cast, true. It, it's with almost Sir like Ronan and Timothy Chalamet and 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 the great breakout performance, which everyone agrees on. I mean, Saoirse's as good as she's ever been. That's not the issue. The breakout is Florence Pugh, who yeah, did so I mean, well in Midsummer as well this year. It's true. I mean, she's been sort of building towards breakouts. That she's been called a breakout for a while now. I mean, Lady Macbeth, Well, not Macbeth, that right? many people saw but, Lady Macbeth, and it was such a negative um she <laughs> she that's plays a great movie, such, but yeah, you're right. I she's love nasty. it too. She plays such a nasty, dislikable character that right. the movie died at the box. So I remember <laughs> going and doing. I was so high it's on her that sell. I did a Q and A with her for that movie, and I remember how realizing how the audience <laughs> reacted to the movie, which was like with with horror, you know. So so she's 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 great in this as Amy. Who and Amy was always the best character. I grew up with Little Women, read it constantly, read all the the Louisa May Alcott books, Joe's Boys, and and so forth. And um, so I know this material uh, very well, and I love what Greta did with the screenplay, which is to really uh, give it a new frame and switch the chronologies around and thematically um, organize it with the present day, quote unquote, the, 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 yeah. the more older uh, characters and yeah. the past. The, and the, she films the past in a certain burnished way and she does step up to a studio mainstream i will add this is not an art house movie 
This is a mainstream well, movie. Well, it's an interesting question that, that the way you characterize it that way. I mean, it, it has the potential. It's almost like one of those Trojan horse art house movies in the sense that it is a studio movie. But there are many things that those of us who watch a much wider range of cinema throughout the year will see as something that's an exciting alternative to a lot of studio stuff. I mean, not just the storytelling, which, as you say, is very meticulously crafted, but the people themselves, I mean... Louis Garrel, for example, or even Timothy Chalamet to some degree. And these are people who have a certain star element, but they also have a different kind of connotation than other kinds of bigger Hollywood movies. As you well could as almost the, as argue that it has a European inflection to it, given that she's such a brainy um, art house nerd. I mean, that's yeah, as, as beautiful as Greta Gerwig is. And I did sit down and talk to her last week, which was a great pleasure. Uh, she, you know, she and Noah Baumbach are, are nerds are us, you know, they, they oh, yeah. sit down and, <laughs> and, uh, get their, get their fingernails dirty while they put these movies together. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminded me to some degree of, of Olivier Assis or somebody like that, the way the movie is sort of like, it's got all these layers that gradually sort of reveal themselves to you. At first, it seems very familiar. And then you realize there's a lot going on beneath the surface. So, okay, so it could be a big movie in December. It could be a commercial movie, as you say. And, and I'm, it, I'm, I'm assuming awards. that we can we can just take for granted that Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh will be nominated. And and beyond that, perhaps Greta for screenplay uh, adapted, yeah. which is actually a weaker category, to tell you the truth, this year. And then beyond that, the question mark would be, does it get into Best Picture Director, um, which is hard because there are only five slots versus 10 possible slots for Best Picture. And she's so competing we'll against her partner, Noah. So it's an interesting, that'll be a story I'm sure people will want to break down a little bit. I mean, the movies are actually complementary in interesting ways yeah, to some they degree. Are. They're both about yeah. marriage. I mean, they there's are. an amazing monologue about marriage and little women that could be sort of applied to a lot of what happens in marriage stories. So, you know, if those two aren't talking these things through, then they're obviously just on each other's wavelength. So they are they should looking both at each other's scripts and they're giving each other notes. Believe me, they do help each other. And I, occurs- I find their creative and personal partnership in a world where so many of these things are very difficult, I find it absolutely uh, heartwarming. Well, let, let's wait and see what Barbie is like, and, and we'll revisit <laughs> that sentiment. <laughs> well, but, let me just say I'm, I'm rooting for them. That doesn't mean, you know, that that everything they do is perfect. I'm just saying I'm rooting for them. Yeah, and, and, and I they think have it's also ambition. the the observation you made about the, uh, the adapted screenplay potential is notable if you compare it to what happened with. Greta's colleague Barry Jenkins, you know, filmmakers of the same generation, both made these at very young ages, big Oscar contenders with Moonlight and Lady Bird, and then came back and and Barry got nominated last year for adapted screenplay on the next movie he made. So it's almost like it, it keeps them in the fold without necessarily saying they need to have like a huge award season heavy hitter each time out, but the, it, it confirms that there this was not a one-off kind of thing either. That's sort of what, what Little Women could do on some level. If it doesn't if it doesn't compete in the big categories, at least it keeps her in the fold to some degree and, and doesn't doesn't drop her out of the conversation, whatever happens with the other with the other films. Um, so we have a bunch of other stuff to talk about. And before we get into some of the movies opening this week, we should talk about Dark Waters because I saw this movie a little while ago. I know you saw it a little while ago and it was way under embargo and the embargo has been lifted. And it's one of those movies to me where it's like 
you know, something that shows up in award season and doesn't really benefit from that spotlight. I, I don't think it's a total failure. It's just sort of blah. It's a well-intentioned kind of thing. Mark Ruffalo passion project. Todd Haynes did fine guiding it along, but I, I just feel like this movie it doesn't is, is feel just, like a Todd Haynes movie though. And, and really. that's, that's the real question here is, 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 you know, does a movie where the driving force of the movie clearly Mark Ruffalo pushed because of the urgency that he felt about the politics. And I went to a Q and a, and I saw him give his speech about how, you know, important climate change and, and environmental um, activism and, and fixing the corruption of, of the chemical companies who are polluting these, these communities, all the reasons why he felt so strongly uh, about pushing through on this, on this movie and wanting it to be, out there as quickly as possible. That is, it's clearly, that was the deal with Focus Features. And Focus Features knows what they're doing. They are not, uh, this is not gonna be in the Oscar conversation. This is just isn't. And, and even though, you know, people have said to me, oh, but Mark Ruffalo is so popular. People love Mark Ruffalo. Of course they do. And he gives a perfectly good performance. In fact, the mm. movie is, fine. You know, it's one of those movies that's, that, you know, I went in expecting it to be terrible and I was agreeably surprised that it was perfectly fine to sit through. It's just that it's not special. It's well, what not they're going to, do, to reach another level. That's the thing. I mean, it's, it's like, I'm not sure what the value is of rushing out a project like this, which in this case is specifically about, you know, how DuPont was dumping all this toxic waste and, and Teflon creating all these terrible problems for people that still are very much a part of our society. The what about those that, pans, everybody? Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, I talk about preaching to the choir, not to say the movie annoyed me, but if you're going to rush something out, do it in a way where you think you can affect real change. I'm not sure that this movie is a wake-up call to anybody who wasn't already, to some degree at least, you know, open to these concerns. And so, well, uh, so I question that. it brings up a couple of other movies. I mean, th- th- for example, The Report or, or uh, Laundromat. These are movies that were driven by the filmmakers uh, responding to real-life political stories that they thought would resonate in the, in the, or the post or something like that. And I, I will argue until forever that you have to have a movie that really works as a story that really grabs people. And I will argue that the report does, the laundromat doesn't, and this one doesn't. And, well, and you can't have the star, a... you can't have the star out there speaking politics and on a mission well, from God, you know, I to think... sell the movie as an entertainment. It doesn't I, work. I don't know. I, w- I don't want to, I mean, Laundromat is such an easy target for people. And Laundromat isn't even trying to hide what it's doing. I mean, it's literally breaking the fourth wall like crazy. And actually, you could argue it's not successful, but it's a very visible attempt to explain problems of, you know, corporate malfeasance to a mainstream audience because they're literally telling you stuff in the simplest possible terms to explain what the Panama Papers were and all that kind of stuff. This well, is the big more like, short did it very well, you yeah, know, that's the kind right. of thing where you can say the big short did it well and laundromat did not. And Dark Waters is more trying to do this, be, be this like 70s era paranoid thriller, a parallax view where all the president's men kind of a thing. And it does do that. And, and I think you could argue maybe that what Todd Haynes and, and Ed Lockman brought to the table was a cinephile mindset to create a movie that actually exists in that genre fairly well. It's just not particularly inspiring. It's not a surprising. thriller by any stretch. 
but that's what they're trying. There is a certain moment where the guy I don't is, think is that's increasingly what they're alienated. doing, honestly. Well, it no, doesn't but work. A, no, but that, I do think and that's then the what, Anne I mean, Hathaway character that is well, my completely sidelined. This is yeah. part of the whole thing that is, this year, more than I in recent memory, there are more male driven movies about white guys with sidelined female characters than <laughs> I I've wrote about ever this. seen. But that's it's because really toxic masculinity toxic is everywhere. Masculinity story I keep getting these good. angry angry people saying that somehow I'm either like conflating politics and movies or or embracing toxic masculinity or something like that. But I mean, the point I was just making is that I do think that the better examples of this, like say the Irishman are more of a direct response to something culturally going on in terms of how we deal with masculinity. Whereas in something like dark waters, it's just an oversight, a really awful oversight. They, they did not write this character well enough to have real identity and agency in the movie. And it's, 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 it's unfortunate. And then they cast a really good actress who is just yeah. wasted. And then she's trying to get attention when she's on the screen. I mean, that's who she is. Anne Hathaway yeah. is going to chew the scenery when she's given the chance. So let's talk about a movie coming out this week that has tons of strong female characters, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, wait. <laughs> Another example. <laughs> Are there Another, any women this in this one movie? Is, this one is, is uh, you know, Katrina Bay, for however you pronounce that, the star of, of, of uh, the great uh, stars TV series, Outlander. But in, in this case, they give her as much as they can, actually. You can see that they're trying to give her something to do. And, and it's, just, it's just about the men, you know? It, that's the way it is in this case. But you like this movie. I think it's I do. Okay. I love it. I, I love it. I, I don't know. I've it's, seen it, it twice. So, I don't know, old fashioned. I just, I, 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 want I more. think it's old fashioned in a good way. I think it's old mm. fashioned in a way we need more of. It's got a narrative. It's got characters who drive the, the story. It has a sports movie element that gives it some commerciality and some verve. And, and I think James Mangold helped to write it with the Butter, Butterworths. It's, this was in development a long time with Michael Mann and Joseph Kaczynski were involved and it was very expensive and it was very epic. And, um, James Mangold came back and was able to put it through. And I think with Matt Damon and, um, Christian Bale as the two leads and, the differences between the two characters, the way that they're so able to help each other and, and be creative and be a team and sort of fight the man um, represented by Henry Ford. Um, but it, but it's a fascinating uh, kind of uh, twist on, on what people go through in corporate life or in Hollywood or in many different ways when you have to compromise and you have to figure out how to make it work. And you also have to hang on to your creative mojo and, and be uh, free. And it's a, it's a wonderful movie in that regard, despite its treatment of, of, <laughs> of or lack thereof of women. I, I think the best part of this movie is there's a there's a fight between Damon and Bale that's really entertaining because they're just like rolling around in the grass while one of what, the white the wife <laughs> watches and kind of just gets bored and sits down with a magazine across the street. But it's that's sort of the centerpiece of the movie. I don't I, again I don't think it's bad. It's just not a movie that is super exciting to me in terms of what it's the story it's telling. It works when they're on the racetrack really well. And I like that central component. There's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that just felt just a touch cheesy to me. And, and I felt like I kind of got the gist of the movie. And once what's the cheesy in, part, was, Josh Lucas's uh, Leo Beebe or, you know, he is sure. Sort of and the, all, villain. 
and all a lot it of the Tracy Letts a, stuff. I mean the the. I love the Tracy Letts. I love him in this. Yeah. When he gets into the race car and they're driving him around and he's crying, you know. Yeah. That, no, that's he's a great funny. Scene. I just felt I, I just felt like a lot of the the scenes where he's sort of establishing the challenge that they had were not particularly absorbing to me. And I could feel the writerly quality of them in a way. You know what they did was they set up why Ford and Ferrari were at odds and why Ford would want to beat Ferrari at Le Mans. And, and that whole thing is very entertaining. Actually, they set up the corporate culture at Ford and the ways that these race car designers and drivers are going to be going up against the corporation if they're going to try to work with them. And I think that works very well. And they were, and they set up these characters played by Damon and Bale very well. I love, I love that relationship. And, and there's something about Bale that actually made me cry because he represents a kind of honorable uh, free spirit, someone who's really trying to do the work without winning necessarily. Yeah, or, and he moves, he know. moves too fast. I mean, it's sort of like he's always on on in on the brink of flaming out because he's got so much ambition and he he's unstoppable and he's always clashing with different people and stuff. I mean, Bale is just a, to me, he's the best thing about the movie. He yes. carries it more than more than yes. anything else. Yes. But then, then the other movie that we have opening this week that's like on a completely different universe in terms of scale, storytelling, all that stuff is is Waves, which I think is a, it's not much not much to make of the contrast between Ford versus Ferrari and Waves, except they that exist I think that it's, in different universes entirely. Exactly that. Exactly that. I mean, it is a different kind of. It's. I, I don't think Waves is a perfect movie, but I do think it is. Uh, it's a filmmaker with a really singular kind of storytelling identity and his ability to get inside family dynamics with a very clear cinematic language and extraordinary performances is, is, is commendable. I mean, he, he walks like a about fine him, line. Trey Edward Schultz, what I really like about him is that he's able to, I love the story that Sterling K. Brown told me about how the script was a PDF, which had embedded in it, um, the music that would go with each scene and, you know, enlarged fonts and colored fonts and, and uh, instructions on when the aperture would change, you know, the aspect ratio on the film. And I was just uh, enchanted by that idea that he just doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't play by any conventional. If the movie has the weirdest structure, starts out with this propulsive uh, sort of almost uh, anxiety ridden uh, story about this overcharged achieving teenager played by Kelvin Harrison uh, Jr. And then it goes, it, you know, there's a tragedy and, and the, the aftermath of that is what is what takes over in a more meditative way. The, the second half of the movie, and it works really well while it doesn't play by any rules that we can uh, remember. Yeah. And the other thing that, that I think is really striking about it is that, you know, you talk to different people who see this movie and they like different parts of it because there's three, really two discrete sections, but then there's also a middle section. And uh, to me, it's like, they're both, they're so different. They're almost like different movies, but they speak to the same kinds of concerns. It doesn't always 
work. I think in some level, it's almost like a little too schematic for its own good. You can feel the the conflict being sort of injected into the story. But but what these actors do, I mean, you know, Kelvin Harrison Jr. is the reason why this movie is about a black family. I think that is the appropriate response to why did this white guy he wanted make to a black craft movie. a story yeah. around this particular he actor. Guy. So he told a story that would fit with him and and everybody on board understood that. And they they actually, they actually had, had, there was some nervousness about making this. It's a middle-class family with what uh, Sterling K. Brown would call white people problems. And uh, And, it's it's very relatable in that way. And Taylor Russell and it's kind of dominating the There's second story half. story about her. Yeah. Yeah. She's a real breakout. So I think overall, I mean, it's a movie where the less you know, the better. But at the same time, it's not a it's not a spoilery type of movie in the sense that it's not a, so much about where the story goes because about halfway through you get probably the biggest plot twist, and it's more about how they deal with the dissolution of a family and then the the various kinds of emotional challenges that that creates. So I think it's it'll be a this this was a movie that seemed to be designed or sort of unleashed into the world, really needing to ride the the buzz of just being this this big fall season discovery and I don't know if that happened quite as quickly as probably a twenty four would have liked but there is a lot of goodwill for this movie and I do wonder you know how it'll continue to unfurl in the weeks ahead and whether it could get some Oscar nominations as a result I think of Sterling that. K Brown is probably the best shot he's been an Emmy winner he's very well regarded he's very he's in a big hit. Uh, series this is us and and he's done some good work in in black panther and and other uh feature films in in his hiatus times um he does an amazing job in this movie uh but again it's the old question of how many people will see it how many people will want to see it and uh a24 will do its best but my guess is that uh they're going to be spending a lot of time on on uh, the farewell and uncut gems and the lighthouse and other things they have going on Right, and then at a certain point, it'll also be a question of what, what, with respect to this movie, do they push more than anything else? I mean, there's also a screenplay possibility, right? I mean, the screenplay is, the, it's a, it's very much a screenplay that people watch the movie and they're aware that the screenplay is a key part of the film in terms of how it's structured. So that's something Acting that... Acting is I, my best shot here, I think. So, so and, and don't forget, it is nominated for Best Picture at the Gotham, so... Oh, yeah, could big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, and you know, it could be a real game changer whoop, this whoop. time. Anything could happen. Uncut I'll, gems I'll, could really. On that uh, note, I will say this is an indie spirit movie, and it has the indie spirits all over it. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it so should. It will remain in in some kind of conversation in the weeks ahead. Yeah, these in the are meantime, the nominations that are going to be coming up in the next few weeks. You know that we've got we've got some the indie spirits. We've got your critics group, the New York Film Critics Circle, and and all sorts of things coming up. Which, by the way, the none of these groups are going to be able to see uh, the last movie out, the one that will not be seen before it opens until it's about to open. Cats. <laughs> yeah, no well, cats in the award season conversation, and I don't think any of us are surprised. I get that movie at home every night, so it's not like I'm necessarily dying for that. I mean, mine don't sing, but that you know, maybe that's for the best. But I will say that the thing about cats is is that it clearly is not a movie that 
is being designed as a critical favorite. I mean, we will we will see, but the aim for that movie is to make it very commercial, like Greatest Showman or something like that. That's so, their best hope, is that you know, they ended up in that territory. Because, I mean, by any measure, The Greatest Showman was not a, a critically hailed movie, and it certainly wasn't an Oscar contender. It was a terrible movie. I agree with you. And <laughs> I'm a musicals fan, you know, so I my daughter loved that movie, but I did not. I didn't respond to it at all. So we shall see. We shall see. We shall That's see. a popular musical all over the world cats and i'm not one of its fans but that doesn't mean other people aren't the music's catchy i'll give them that much so the other thing going on right now is afi fest is starting up so there's a bunch of stuff around the corner that we haven't seen but it's starting off with queen and slim which we have so we can talk a little bit about that i think it's a very so that's tonight. That's, a, that's opening up the the festival, yeah. and um, right. I'm I'm delighted that they're opening with that. I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with this movie because I, I enjoyed it. It was really fun to watch. Well directed, well written by Lena Thwaite, um, and well acted uh, by Daniel Kaluuya, and a, an incredible breakout performance by Jody Turner Smith. Um, and but and it's a you know Bonnie and Clyde story and it it's it feels very uh authentic it feels like it lives in a real world and it even though these are two british actors who are playing americans um i really liked it but i don't think it's an oscar movie i think i hope i pray that it does well at the box office but it's also very angry and very incendiary it's not well, it doesn't hold back on its feelings about uh violence um, it specifically has to deal with police brutality against black people. And, and to that extent, it is very much a movie that I think could be a major conversation starter and galvanize black audiences to go see this movie if it's released in a way that really, you know, capitalizes on the nature of that conversation. My feeling about Queen and Slim, it's a very powerful movie. It's kind of flawed in parts. There are some certain storytelling leaps that they it's make a that I wasn't movie. really with. Not and, to and put I found it, a point on it. And I found a lot of the stops along the way to be sort of uneven and the, the dynamic between the characters a little harder to to parse to some degree, including the the, the immediate re- reaction to this event. I was trying to figure out, is this all supposed to be sort of allegorical or is it supposed to be more realistic? And I'm not sure the movie totally resolves all that. In that respect, it felt That's very fair. much like a, a first feature from Melina Matsukas, who's done some really great stuff on, on TV and, and music videos and so forth. But it does feel like to some degree, this bigger canvas, is it, it has some growing pains in that she respect. She has a good eye, though. The movie looks great and moves. Yeah, and, 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 and well every frame is gorgeous. That. It's really yeah. gorgeous. And I think the more importantly, perhaps the emotion is there and the, and the immediacy of the message is there. You look at some of the other recent films that have dealt with this subject matter, like Monsters and Men, and you feel like American cinema is trying to uh, wrestle with this issue in a way that works in a narrative context. And this is probably the most ambitious attempt to do that so far. So it is a movie worth seeing and talking about. I just want to I be agree. clear. I think you, you know, should see it for the performances and for the directing discovery. And also uh, what she does do is she makes the story, which even if it's angry and even if, if it's, it's, it's agitprop in some ways and, and Lena Thwaite totally admits that um, it, it's entertaining. It's fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah, well, and, and I think Lena Waithe has done a good job sexy. with this script. There's a great sex scene in it, everybody. Well, it doesn't I happen every day. 
Uh, my feeling about that sex scene is that it's probably not the best thing to advertise because it's actually intercut with something really awful and, and disturbing. So it's I don't know if it's meant to be sexy in those terms, but it, but I'll be curious to see how how people talk about it once it screens around a little bit more, and uh, and and we'll see how it does not just in terms of the awards conversation, but commercially too. It's an interesting proposition. So uh, next week we'll have more AFI Fest to dig into. There's obviously some stuff we haven't seen that's kind of a bigger deal, like the new Clint Eastwood film, for example. So we'll see how that'll do. And uh, and then after going that, off, we're going to see 1917, which is exciting, right. too. An- another another sort of unknown in that respect, although there's a lot to expect there. And then you're going off to Santa Barbara, so you'll have Just, some stories, I'm I'll sure. I'll tell you about my night with Marty. <laughs> have a good one, and Talk to you soon. Bye.